Macworld Podcast number 341 for February 13th, 2013. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. During the recent Macworld iWorld event, we hosted a slew of panel discussions on our Macworld live stage. In this episode, we'll bring you the audio from one of those panels, Serenity Caldwell's alternate publishing roundtable featuring Adam and Tanya Angst, David Sparks, and Scott Simpson. Let's go. Uh, this is the Alternative Publishing Roundtable, which is to say, myself and a bunch of very smart people are here to talk about ebooks and online publishing and what is the deal with it anyway. So I'm going to just go down the line and let my lovely panelists introduce themselves and have them say a little bit about what they do in this industry and why they got into it in the first place. My name is Adam Angst, and I'm the publisher of Tidbits, which is a online newsletter and uh, website's been around for 23 years, but we, 10 years ago, started a series of electronic books called the Take Control series, and we've published almost 150 titles in that time, mostly about Apple topics, and we, because we started this 10 years ago, we've gone through every format there is, uh, we've gone through numerous tool chains, we've come up with all sorts of We've run across all sorts of, of, of problems and solutions and things like that. Um, and it's been really a long, long, strange trip that doesn't stop. Uh, that, that every time we, we, we think, oh, well, we're getting good at this, something changes. Or we think, well, we want to do this new thing. Or there's a new platform we want to publish to. And we have to almost start all over again. So, um, and when I say we, I mean my lovely wife, Tanya, who is, in fact, the editor-in-chief of Take Control Books. Uh, hi, folks. Thanks for the introduction, Adam. Uh, Adam and I have been working together for about 20 years on electronic publishing in one form or another. We started working together before we got married, just to you know, let you all know our background there. As editor-in-chief of the Take Control eBook series, I tend to deal more with the little picture problems, where Adam will deal more with the bigger picture stuff. So I get really in there with the authors on what is our style guide like, what, what can we do and not do in terms of formatting, what formats of eBooks we're going to favor, so maybe we're working harder to make our EPUBs better, and that means our PDFs are going to be a little worse. You know, how can we put all that together? So I've been making eBooks and serving as editor-in-chief of a series for almost 10 years now, and it's pretty fun and always different. Hi, everybody. I'm David Sparks. I'm the, uh, the panel fraud. <laughs> just kind of snuck on here. He lies. I, um, I wrote a couple books as an author for The Man, you know, for a big publishing company. And last year, I decided to try and play with the iBooks author platform. And I, uh, I wrote a book about going paperless. And it's, uh, it's a really great book. It's got um, an hour and a half of video in it. It's not even really a book anymore. It's, I'm not sure what to call it. But I did an iBooks author, and it was really fun writing it. It was a lot more fun writing that than doing something with a traditional publishing format. And I've built this uh, now Max Barkey Field Guide brand, which I'm now working actively through the iBookstore as I start releasing some additional titles to it. And I have uh, fallen into the publishing industry, I guess, for lack of a better word. My name is Scott Simpson, and I have a booming, loud voice. That's appropriate. No, keep it, keep it hot. Um, 
I, uh, I've been on the retail side, so I've, I've, for the last 12 years, I, I started at Amazon. I helped start the digital books program at Amazon, or rather on the search inside the book. And then I uh, came over to Apple uh, about eight years ago, uh, worked on the podcasting side of the store, and then moved over to the iBooks store to help start that. Um, since left both places, but um, uh, really love the experience of working with publishers and with, with uh, individual authors as they try and figure out how best to publish their stuff and have, in fact, worked with everybody on this stage uh, in one way or another as they worked to publish their uh, books with uh, the iBookstore. So I'm very excited to be here and uh, to share, I'll call it wisdom. And it turns out Scott looks completely different when he doesn't have <laughs> Apple.com behind his name. Kind of amazing how that happens. Um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit to start um, with why you decided to choose the formats that you're working in. So for, for instance, uh, for people who don't know why I am on this panel and why I'm hosting this panel, since I guess I brushed over that, uh, my name is Serenity Caldwell, and I am an associate editor here at Macworld. I run and help run our Super Guide program, which is basically a short selection of how-to guides uh, that are on all varied topics, iCloud, iPhone, etc. Uh, and so we work primarily uh, in desktop publishing to make EPUB soft, uh, make EPUBs, make Kindle, uh, Kindle files. I can't. I, talk. I think it's the dot, the dot poop the, format. The dot, I'm just going yeah. to insert those no, jokes no throughout the show. That does not work. Everyone uh, hates. <laughs> everyone hates working on the Kindles. Yeah. So, um, so our our company, MacWorld, works making PDFs and books that you can read on iBooks as well as on the Kindle and on the Nook and the Sony Kobo, and basically. Our goal is anything that's electronic, you should be able to read the book on it, and it shouldn't look bad. Um, so when I started at Macworld, we were just doing PDFs and printed books, and we thought, you know what, uh, e-books, this e-book thing is pretty cool. We should, we should start doing that. So my former coworker, Heather Kelly, um, was working with her former coworker to start doing e-books, and then when I came on board, I really kind of dove into the technical side of that and meant, ooh, well, we can style images and we can make things look more like the print side and, and less, like, uh, less like plain text and not make it look very pretty. So we, we really sort of dove headfirst into making really beautiful books for all formats uh, and have just been kind of playing with each format since. And Adam and Tanya, I mean, you guys work sort of very similar to us in terms of trying to put out a bunch of varied formats. I'd love to hear you guys talk yeah, about that. Yeah, we started with PDF, because we started in 2003. Mm -hmm. And in 2003, we actually made the very conscious decision that PDF was sufficiently ubiquitous. And keep in mind, our first book was Take Control of Upgrading to Panther. So, okay. so having preview on every Mac mm -hmm. was something that was still... No, I mean, it was there, but people were, I mean, we were, people were upgrading from 10.1, which was the first really usable version of Mac OS X, and upgrading to 10.2. So the preview being ubiquitous was the decision to be, we can do ebooks at all. And then we went with that for a number of years. And we had, at that time, we actually had a truly cobbled together tool chain of, of developing in Word for Windows and Acrobat for Windows, and then reprinting the book again in uh, Word for 
Mac and replacing all the pages because ugh, the trouble you go through. And, but in some ways, these tools aren't even actually any better now. I mean, we're using different ones, but they're, e they're equally bad. They're just differently bad. And so when EPUB started to show up, we started to see the, you know, the iOS devices. At first, people were a little bit... I mean, at first they were like, oh, you know, I have an, I have an iPhone, and you know, I'd sort of like to read, my, read your books on my iPhone. And all there was was PDF readers at this point. And they were really nice about it. And then when the iPad came out... Well, when the iPad <laughs> came out within about... Well, not even within about an hour, because even before the iPad came out, people started to ask about reading ebooks on the iPad, but they didn't ask nicely. They assumed that, of course, we had a solution for reading ebooks on the iPad. And the good news was we mostly did, but it was actually really tricky because our shopping cart at the time was downloading zip files. The customers were downloading zipped ebooks. Well, you can't easily download a zipped file to the iPad. And that actually turned out to be a hurdle still for can't. us. But it was just a completely different expectation. We do books about Macintosh products, Apple products, and the iPad is out. And of course, our ebooks are going to work beautifully on the iPad. So just vastly different customer and keep in expectations. Mind, a, lot, a lot of these problems that we faced were because this is before iBooks was released. So all you had was be able to read PDFs, which you could do in Safari, where it kind of sucked because as soon as you closed the page, you lost it. Um, or you could get Goodreader. We were pushing people towards Goodreader like you wouldn't believe. I, I think we sent tens of thousands of people to Goodreader. <laughs> Just, yeah, there's a guy in the audience raising his hand. Yeah. yeah. So, so in any event, so that was, you know, that, and then eventually we did get iBooks. And, and iBooks and the, and it was really the key that pushed us over to switching from Word to pages. We were actually making EPUBs in with via the Word files, but we were doing it with in partnership with O'Reilly Media. We we, we uh, partner with us as a distribution partner, and this it, it pains me even even to admit this. But we were getting EPUBs and Mobis, the Kindle formats. They would send our PDFs and Word files to India, and people there would convert them. And I. It, it was just—it was just so painful that they would be, you know, doing these conversions by hand because I knew how hard it was. But it was so cheap; it was like fifty bucks to convert a book. You know, there was no way to get software to do this any better. So, when iBooks came out and Pages actually 9.0.4 came out from Apple, they added EPUB export, and that was when we switched to Pages. Even though Pages does pretty horrible PDF export. Um, it's slightly better than Word, but it's still horrible. And it's been horrible for four years. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a chance to switch to that. And we still have to get Mobis from O'Reilly because we still can't get a good Mobi out of, out of Pages or, or anyone who tells you you can convert an EPUB to Mobi is lying, by the way. It's anything more than straight text, they're lying. I can convert EPUBs to Mobi, but it's a, it's a trick. It's a, it takes, you have to basically take out the CSS, put in a different form of CSS, and then run it through Kindle Gen and Kindle Preview. And get it to look good? And get it to look good. Yeah, okay, I, we'll have to talk more about we'll, that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk, talk more we'll about talk that. We'll talk off stage. Um, but yeah, but talking off, off Adam's point, um, trying to convert multiple formats becomes increasingly trying very quickly, especially if you want them to look good across all. It's not necessarily like, um, like just printing a PDF and, okay, the PDF looks good on the screen. It looks good um, in your hand when you print it out to make it into an actual book. Unfortunately, every single format is different. It's kind of, I use this metaphor a lot when I'm talking about ebooks, but it reminds me a lot of the 1990s web where, you know, 
It looks one way on Netscape. It looks another way it's, on It's the browser wars all over again. It is. And, I mean, keep in mind, like, Kindle is like HTML2. I mean, it doesn't even have tables, for God's sakes, or lists. It's just, it's mind-bogglingly stupid. Uh, and keep in mind that we're not just trying to make something look good. We're also making books. It's not like it's a short article. So we want them to be navigable. We want people to be able to see what the chapters are and navigate around in the chapters and have some, I mean, they're e-books. So we want them to actually have e-features. It's not just a matter of putting the look of a page on a screen. So I'm very concerned about the formatting, but there is this whole other piece. And Adam was talking about how hard it is to get a good PDF. And some of you might be thinking, well, file, print, save as PDF, what's the problem? But no, because there's no bookmarks that go with the chapters. So people don't have that navigation. And no so links. It gets, it gets quite a bit trickier when you want to really make an ebook that that feels like a modern kind of ebook. One thing that actually might be useful to step back briefly here and say is that I think there's, there's potentially this misperception in possibly the public, I don't think it's true in the publishing industry, that we have, say, simple fiction on, on one end of the spectrum. It's just text. No images, no lists, no nothing, just text. You know, your, your standard best-selling fiction author is going to write that. Then you have books like what we do, where we have tables and bullet lists and numbered lists and screenshots and things like that, but it's still text. It's still kind of flowing from page to page. And then there's the books that, that, that David is doing that are gorgeous. They're beautifully laid out. They've got interactive multimedia. And what's important to realize, and this is the misperception, this is not an evolution. It's not like we're going to all end up with beautiful, gorgeous books with video and multimedia. We're not. There are three different types of books. Each one does its own job and will always do its own job. If you just need text, you're just going to use text. If you need the kind of elements that we're doing in technical books, you'll stop there. And if you want to go to the next level and have interactivity and video, you'll go all the way and stop there. There are three different viable types. Yeah, I think that's something, that's a good segue into sort of the next part of this, which is, David, um, you've been using the iBooks uh, iBooks Author software, which came out, you know, this last year, uh, that Apple basically said, all right, working in EPUBs, we understand, is not so great. If you want to make beautiful books, here, here is this lovely software based on our iWork protocols, and we can, if you want to style a book just how you would style a print book, we can, you know, have you do that. And on top of that, you can add video, you can add animations, you can add all sorts of things. And the software was originally designed, or at least pitched, to the education industry as this is a cool way for you guys to make textbooks and for you to be able to put things together. Um, but you've kind of, you've took it in a little bit of a different way. Yeah, well, you know, I was unique in a lot of ways. First of all, like I started, I'm fundamentally incompetent at many technical things. <laughs> and I talked to Serenity last year at Macworld about EPUB, and she said, well, there's several formats of EPUB, and then right after that, it sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher to me. <laughs> EPUB, HTML, and so I realized very quickly that I would never get the degree of competence necessary to make a EPUB nearly as good as these fine people on the panel with me can. Um, but I also wanted to do a different kind of book. I, when I did my book um, for the big publisher, I, I I wanted to write about paperless in that book. There's a lot of things I wanted to write about. I like and the subtle resentment by, by virtue of the fact that you, you're not saying the publisher that you did it for, you're just the big publisher. <laughs> yeah, I, I also yeah. don't want to get sued, so I'm trying to be careful That's about it. You know? but the, uh, publisher cops, yeah. they'll come and get you. Either way. So anyway, so when I did this book, it was called Mac at Work. It was a good book. And 
uh, I wanted to write about paperless, and they said, great, you get 3,000 words and I think 15 screenshots. And I'm like, okay. So I'm going to help somebody become paperless. And, and the way I teach paperless involves a lot of nerdy stuff because the Mac lets you do that. And I just knew that wasn't going to work. So I was trying to, well, I think it was during Macro last year that we talked to her in it, and, and I was really looking for, do I do an embedded PDF or do an EPUB? And I was playing with the formats, and I really am not very competent at that stuff. It's just not my forte. And I realized it was going to be ugly as sin. And uh, then Scott and his pals released iBooks Author. And it was the solution to all my problems because I don't know if Apple says this is the official policy, but um, iBooks Author is the love child of Pages and Keynote. So <laughs> if you can run iWork, you can probably use um, iBooks Author, even somebody as dense as I can. So, so I got the book, and there's a lot of things I did in the workflow. I did a whole session on it here, but I didn't write the book in, in iBooks Author. It's one of the things people don't realize because it's really a great publishing platform. It's not a great writing platform. But I had this tool and allowed me to make a really gorgeous-looking book. I had complete control over the layout, and, and I finally got to do what I always wanted to do, was teach people how to go paperless and to make screencasts. And, you know, the final book had like 40 screencast movies in it, and I don't know how many pictures and everything. So I see people on the show floor, and they're telling me they brought their whole company paperless based on the book, and that makes me feel really super. So um, I could not have done this without iBooks Author. I'm convinced it wouldn't have happened. But deciding to go to iBooks Author for me was a very strategic decision because, you know, I'm writing books about Mac and Apple technology, and when you write an iBooks Author book, there's only one device that reads it. It's an iPad. You can't read it on a Mac. You can't read it on an iPhone. You can't read it on a Kindle or anything else. So take control. That doesn't really make sense for you guys because you guys have books for a lot, wide variety of stuff, and your readers expect to be able to read anywhere, whereas I'm just this dorky new guy who wants to do a, um, you know, like a manifesto on going paperless. So I was able to do it, and, and it worked out for me. Um, the one thing I did do, in addition to the iBooks author publication, was I made a PDF version. And once again, the way I did it was I just, I made a PDF out of iBooks author, because I really liked the layout. So I made the layout with that, and then I took all the video and I just put it in folders, and then I got a download service where if someone pays me a few bucks in PayPal, they get a link and they can download it all. Um, interestingly, I didn't DRM anything, and and I I um, found out later that you know it went up on the sharing sites like hours after I put it up. But you know I don't care if somebody's going to rip me off for you know five dollar book, then heck with them. They weren't going to be my customer to begin with. I just don't want my customers to have trouble. The other interesting thing is. The, the type of book I did is not possible through traditional route. Amazon charges a download fee. Last time I checked, it was 15 cents a megabyte. I think it's still that, but I'm not certain. Um, my book is 850 megabytes. It's like a movie, you know? So when you download my book, if it, if it were even possible to sell through Amazon, they would charge me $127 every time you bought it. So in order for me to make 7 bucks on my book, because they take 30% as well, well, actually... I don't know how, I'd have to charge like 200 bucks to sell this book through Amazon. And um, I'm not smart enough to do that math either. But either way, you can see why iBooks Author was really a, a really good match for me. And I've been really happy with it. And Scott, I'm thankful for all you the work you're welcome. <laughs> just, just to be clear, I did nothing in, in terms of the creation of that software. Yeah. Uh, I'm far smarter people than, than I built it. 
but I did work with a lot of publishers who um, who wanted to build their books using that format. Uh, and and Serena, do you mind if I talk now? Is oh that no, okay? I was okay. at, that is the exact question I was about to go okay, into. So right. you go for it. Um, the thing that I think probably is is just as big a deal for you if you're thinking about maybe writing a book or trying to get it published or something like that is. Aside from the formats, which are themselves complicated, just a distribution and getting it up on various platforms is itself, uh, and then marketing it, is itself uh, very complicated and difficult and a big challenge. Uh, certainly something to think about and worth uh, spending some time figuring out once you've written this cool book, how to get it out there. The good news is that um, all of the major ebook distribution platforms make it very easy to, uh, to add your book to the store, uh, to their stores. Amazon does a great job. Barnes & Noble does a great job. Um, iBookstore does a job. Um, there, there are other ones, but they all do, they all do uh, they're all more than willing to work with an individual author or a small publisher as they work to uh, create their eBooks and, and sell them. They're, they're, I, to be clear, they're sort of willing to work. They're, they're not, they're not going to make it easy. They're not going to tell you, like, how to get ISBN numbers. You're still going to pay a whole lot of money for a single ISBN number because that's the way it works in the United States. You're going to have to do a whole lot of stuff. There's a reason why publishers exist because publishers have figured out how to do this and can aggregate that knowledge over multiple books. Doing things one-off as an author can be really, really hard. I know because yeah. we were that place when right. we did our first book and our second book and our third book and when it changed to this and, you know, uh, yeah. I, no, it's, it's true. I'm not it's a big a, fan a of, the, of, the, of, the, of the, these, these e-book retailers on the whole. It's a great point. You're wrong, but it's a great point. Uh, no, you're not wrong. It's, it's just based on case. In fact, uh, one of the, the best examples of a self-publishing success story, Amanda Hawking, who's who you may have heard of, uh, but she had written, I, I don't know how many books she's written now, but several of her books were selling in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of copies on all of these platforms. And, um, and then at one point she was like, I am finished with doing all of the marketing and doing all of the legwork and the customer service and the answering fan emails and all of the, you know, uh, working with rights for figuring out how to do different languages. And so she signed with, I think, Simon & Schuster, uh, to be, you know, to, to sort of go back from this uh, widely heralded, you know, break from tradition, she went back to work with a publisher. Um, that said, there's never been a better time to uh, to break out like David has by himself um, than than now, because you do have access to the exact same distribution tools, if not the marketing tools. Uh, of traditional publishers. Yeah, currently my book's uh, on sale in 35 countries. I mean... Well, and actually, again, to, to be clear, you have access to some of the same distribution tools that when you're an iBooks author, you're signing that license agreement that says you can only sell your book in the iBook store and nowhere else. Well, that specific, that specific format. In theory, if we wanted to produce the same content, and uh, Macworld has looked into doing this before, where we build a book in iBooks author put that iBooks author format book on the iBookstore and then completely rebuild it in using our other tools for the iPhone and for Kindle. Yes. That works, but again, it's a, it's a little bit of an extra step. I would well, say, yeah. I was just going to say, I think David's done something really neat where he's found exactly the right publishing platform and exactly the right 
uh, shopping cart, if you will, to sell his book in, and that's working very well, and even more books coming, from what I understand. So what we've run into is because we said we want to make our books available, you know, just to everybody, you know, no matter what system you're on, what we found to be very challenging is managing the relationships with all the different carts. Because if you think about it, when you shop on Amazon, say, you see a lot of information about the book. You see the title, the author's name, maybe a description of it. Who knows what you may see? Well, the author or the, author or the publisher provides that information and it's easy or reasonably easy to provide that to one bookseller, just like David provides the iBookstore with some marketing content about his book. But then you go to Barnes & Noble, say, and you want to put your book up for sale there. Well, they're also going to want some information about the book, but it's not going to be the same information. It's not like you can just send them the same stuff again. It's not copy and paste. You know, One wants a 500-word description. The next one wants a 1,500-word description, or whatever it is. And that's fine for two publishers. But then imagine that you're selling through, say, 10 different carts, and you've got 50 different books. You have a mess. And so the scaling from an author just doing a few to a small publisher with multiple authors and multiple books start, starts to become more, more challenging. So there, there's lessons to be learned there. Well, yeah, you start running up against the constraints of what actually makes sense when you're working on a book. It's, you know, if I am a single person, do I want to focus on making my book available on every single platform possible? Do I think that's the best way to sell it? Or should I focus on a single thing, for instance, like iBooks author? And it really depends on the subject of your book. If it's a fiction book, for instance, it might be very beneficial to be on multiple platforms because you want as many people reading that book as possible. Yeah, you if, want people to talk about it. If I was doing a fiction book, I would not be doing an iBooks author-only book. Yeah, exactly. You know, I wanted to put all that video in. I yep. wanted the interactivity, so I, so I did that. The other thing for me, what, as coming from a, a larger publisher to do myself, is I felt like the voice of the book got better. And that's because I'm kind of quirky, and there's, you know, I like to make it kind of fun for people because technology's already a drag, you know, so you've got to make it fun. And, and they didn't always get me on that stuff, so that was another real refreshing thing for me. One of the things that we haven't talked about but actually is really key is we sort of said, oh, you can sell through Amazon, you can sell, sell through Barnes & Noble, or you can sell through the iBookstore. Well, we sell through all those places, and they're um, approximately 12% total of our sales. The bad bookstore is about 6% of our sales. Amazon and all the rest are another 6%. And the simple fact of the matter is that if you're a small publisher, at least, I don't quite know if this works at the single author level, it makes a heck of a lot more sense to sell directly, where you're not sharing 30% or more of your, royal, of your, of your money with with the retailer, and and you, those people who buy your book are your customer. You can talk directly to them. When someone buys a book in the iBookstore on Amazon or O'Reilly or wherever, they're not your customer. You don't know who they are. You can't talk to them. You can't say, hey, I've got another book. Hey, I've got an upgrade to this one because stuff changed in the last three months. You can't do any of that. So one of the things whenever small publishers talk to me or people who are thinking about getting, I say is sell direct, always focus on that because that's where you can build the customers who will come back to you. Just appearing in Amazon is meaningless. Totally meaningless. Lots and lots of books sell no copies in Amazon. Doesn't help if you're there. It's not a bad thing to be there, but it's no guarantee. The well, same I mean, is true of all retailers. You have, I mean, you and Tonya have a really great base to work from, which is why selling direct really helps. 
in that a lot of people know the Take Control name and the Tidbits name because you've been building it up for the last 20 years. For someone who's building or starting out with their first book, and even Macworld for that instance, you know, we have a fairly broad name uh, in, for ourselves in the magazine. But when we started doing these ebooks, and we started, you know, when when the iBookstore became an option in 2010, and we started selling EPUBs through there, we actually started finding that people would come back. People who had never heard of MacWorld, new iOS users, new Mac users who were just now discovering the iBookstore. Uh, they would pick up a book because we had gotten on the top 10 bestseller list or something like that uh, for computers, and they'd say, hey, Macworld, do they make other things? They have a website? Oh, okay. This is really, like, we, we actually found that being in the, uh, in the store was very beneficial for that sort of, that kind of pull, pulling in new interest. And, like, and our, again, um, for, for us, our digital sales actually make up about 65% of our sales, and the other 35% is our direct sales. It's really, I think it really is interesting, and it depends on uh, Well, depends but, you, on but you don't do nearly as much direct marketing. Um, that's true. We, so we, we, we do a lot of, yeah, we... we direct we, marketing to our audience, so when we have a new book, we tell them. Absolutely. Um, it, it was interesting for me, because I've got a podcast that's pretty well recognized as Mac Power users has got out there, and I figured that the only people who would actually spend money on anything I wrote were people who listen to the podcast. And there's a lot of people who I hear just the opposite. They found the book, and then they go find the podcast for that. The other thing I did, because I knew I was a small operation, is I put Tiny Letter in the iBooks author at the end. I put a section in there and said, if you'd like to join the newsletter. And I use Tiny Letter because Michael Lopp does. And if he does, then he's the cool guy. i got to do it like him, right? I, I wear his jeans. All right, there you go. So, so I put that in the end, and... I've had like thousands of people sign up for this newsletter out of the back of the book. So I do think if you're going to do this, you should find some way to connect with your customers. So even though I don't have a list of everyone who bought the book, at least some of them, at least the, you know, the people who believe enough to sign up for it, I've got that list. And yeah, that, that's yeah, really smart, really absolutely. smart to do that. And so, I, I just wanted to contribute that anecdotally, we do find that customers we pick up through the iBookstore, you know, we hear from them and some of them do come and register the book into our system. And we also have messaging in the book about how, you know, hey, you know, we'd like to hear from you. We'd like you to get on our mailing list. And definitely that's... Yeah, communicating with your customers that's a good tip. is really, really important. Now, Scott, you've been communicating with publishers for God knows how long. Um, did you have any great recommendations for publishers? Did you see anything that publishers were doing really well in terms of reaching out with to their audience? That's a, yeah, that I, a lot of stuff. And I don't know if I'll come up with a nice, concise list right now, but I I, just in general, um, the best thing that, not just public, I, I don't really think of pub, you know, I think of anybody with a book, whether it's a publisher or an individual. Uh, the best thing that they could do was uh, just get the basics right. So, you know, it's not about fancy EPUB or fancy iBooks author, it's about spell check, you know, like do the right, do the simple stuff right. And then on top of that, a really nice cover that works well in a small format because a lot of times you only really see the thumbnail whether on, on any platform. So a cover that you can really tell what's going on that's unique and professional looking is crucial. Uh, and then, you know, a title and, and things like that, just basics that, um, that make your book look professional, uh, whether you did it in, you know, by yourself in your basement or uh, whether you did it with a large publisher. 
one of the things I did immediately when I decided to self-publish was I got a really good editor, and I can't recommend that enough. I always think about um, Star Wars, you know. When Lucas made the first three movies, he had a lot of people editing his work, right? Then he made the second three, and he didn't. There are three more movies? What? There exactly. Three more movies? There's exactly. more Star Wars movies? That's great. And, and my big fear when I went self-publishing is I didn't want to make an, you know, an episode one through three. So... <laughs> I, I found somebody, and the editor I found was great. She knew something about what I was writing about, but not everything, so she could check when I was totally off the rails. And then she also is a complete grammar Nazi, and, you know, she could find anything wrong, you know, dangling participles. The, the, the other great example of uh, editors is if you look at the Harry Potter books on a shelf, <laughs> just, just notice how big those last few get when no one's going to be editing J.K. Rowling after that success. One, one other thing that uh, I thought of uh, that I think is, is relevant is, and this, was, this is true in, I think, all, all digital media, again, because the incremental cost of selling another thing is zero, right? Like, it's digital. So you can sell a million in a day or you can sell one in a day. So the distribution piece is sort of solved for you in a lot of ways. Um, the, the we would get a lot of questions both when I was at Amazon and, and when I was at Apple get a lot of questions from both large and small publishers we'll just put my book on the front of the store and then that's Bob's your uncle, I'm done I'm going to be a successful author and that not, none of that is true right? so uh, putting a book um, does increase the overall exposure but it's really a tiny piece of the marketing that, that you need to do as an author or a publisher. Uh, the biggest thing that you can do, uh, like these guys do, is create an existing interested customer or fan base who are on board with your shtick and then begin to sell with them and then snowball from there. And then once your book is number 25 in fiction, then contact you know, the Amazons and the Nooks and the iBook stores and say, my book is now 25 in fiction. Now what can you do? It's interesting to them. Or somebody said something nice about this book. What can you do with that? Instead of just trying to sort of crack through to this imaginary, all-powerful editor who's sitting there choosing what books become successful. Because nowadays, as you all know, as I'm sure fans of various super nerdy things... It's a, it's a really strong fan base that kind of makes or breaks you. Um, so, yeah, definitely get some momentum going on your own. Figure out how to do it. Don't think that there's an all-powerful person who's pushing the buttons who will make your book or your publishing company successful. One of, one of the things that I recommend to just everyone at this point, because it's, a, in fact, a lot of where we got started, is just do it. You know, not only just write your book, but have a blog. You know, have, get a voice. Be doing something repeatedly so that you know, people start figuring out who you are, who, you know, what you do, how good you are. Yeah, totally. And so then those are the people, when you actually have the book, they're going to buy the book. I mean, totally. I mean, you, I mean I'm saying, in fact, here there's this 50 shades of pink right, or something, you know, right. whatever. Yeah, when you, it's a blog. When you're, selling, a blog. when you're selling a book to, pub, to big publishers now on the, on the fiction side, or let's say you're selling a cookbook, <laughs> publishers are like, well, what marketing are you going to do for this book? <laughs> yeah. Like, how many people are on your email list? How many Twitter followers do you have? And you're like, I thought you guys were going to do all the marketing. They're like, no. We don't know who you are. We don't, you know, your book may sell a thousand copies and it's published with Penguin. Like, you have to have, wherever you're selling and whoever you're writing for, you have to be thinking about your own brand and figuring out how you're going to amass a fan base 
that then will presumably be big fans and buy all your junk. The other thing to also keep in mind, I think we throw around names, you know, people who sell, you know, millions of books or hundreds of thousands of books or whatnot. You really have to also keep a certain level of, of realistic expectation in mind, which is, you know, my numbers are a little out of date on this, but the last I checked, the average computer book sells about 5,000 copies. So books do not sell vast numbers of copies. They simply don't, on average. There are, of course, the bestsellers, and then there's the ones, you know, that are dragging it down. And if you're a professor writing for an academic press, you might be happy with a couple hundred copies. So, you know, it, it all depends, and you, you need to keep that in mind early on. Maybe you'll get lucky, but realistically, like so many other things in life, probably not. Probably you're going to be more in that average range. And, you know, be happy with that. You made a good book. People got use out of it. Absolutely. Well, it goes back to what Scott said, in that you really need to sort of find your target audience and figure out what necessarily who, who you're writing for, what niche that your book is filling. Um, and one thing that I found uh, that really helped us figure out what books we were going to be working on uh, was seeing what's available in the current atmosphere already. You know, we do a lot of tech how-to books, and we look into, we say, oh, well, maybe we're going to do an iCloud book. Oh, there are five iCloud books out there already. Um, but, you know... Maybe, maybe only one of them is really good, and maybe, the one, maybe that one covers different things than what we want to cover. So maybe we're going to spin this from an alternate angle, where instead of, like, do everything iCloud-related, we're going to focus on iCloud and working with documents or something like that. Really honing in on a, honing in on a topic um, and a specific section or picking, picking something that really resonates with your readers, I, I think is really important. Uh, David and I are just talking about how we look like uh, some, some sort of family reunion down this side of the, <laughs> this side of the chairs. You sh- we should have talked about how we were going to do our hair before yeah. we came up. Scott looks like the successful younger brother, and I look like the older one that started drinking too early. <laughs> when, in fact, okay. I'm so drunk right now. You'll make a very lovely movie when, uh, in like five years when they do a reunion panel on all of this. <laughs> Uh, so with the time that we have left, which is about seven to ten minutes, uh, if anybody in the audience has questions for myself or our illustrious panel, we'd love to hear if you're having problems with, yeah, please uh, come to the microphones. I don't know if they're live, but hopefully we can make Serenity, that happen. Can, yeah. I be, can I be mean and just ask, all, like, keep it short with the questions, <laughs> keep it quick so that so, we can yeah. answer a few, because I imagine, like, if you think about it, if you really are thinking about writing a book, you probably have a lot of questions and, you know, this is a good bunch of people to ask. So uh, please feel free to ask. And, and if we could keep it quick, then we can do a bunch. Okay. Um, my question is about e-books in the uh, medical industry. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I used to work in a medical library at Kaiser up the street. And then one day, boom, my job is gone. The librarian's gone. Um, the books are gone. And in their wisdom, you know, the cost-cutting geeks decided that um, doctors and nurses and medical people, um, you know, whatever is out there uh, in the e-thing is, is just great. Um, the problem is the faculty didn't have any say-so. The librarians didn't have any say-so. The knowledge experts, the nurses, the doctors, no one. You know, it's this. And I guess what my real question is, um, how do you think this is going to affect education in the medical industry, and what do you think it's going to do to the quality of care? That is a very good question. 
Possibly, yeah. Well, without being actually qualified to answer that question. Um, my mother is the Cornell University archivist, so I'm somewhat familiar with the library industry, and the library industry, the library world, because it's not an industry. Um, I think that what, you know, in short, the format is not going to be a really big deal in the longer term. There's going to be some ugly stuff in the transition phase, but people who understand library stuff and understand knowledge and how to categorize and reference and, and acquire and, and disseminate, those skills are going to, be, going to be useful for a long time. I don't think that sort of this, this switch to, to electronic will change that much. And in some ways, I think it'll be good because a lot of fields are changing very, very fast right now. Um, one of the things that we do with all of our books is we, we provide updates to them, free updates. You know, something small changes, we'll put out a 1.1 version of our book and give it away for free to all the current customers. And that's important, I think, in, in, in these fields where stuff changes. And so paper books, though, that didn't happen. You know, that book was just wrong. And, and in, the, in the old days, I mean, we all had these paper books. We'd, we'd, we'd publish them, and a week later, there'd be something horribly out of date, and we'd just be cringing that it was on the shelves and couldn't do anything. So... You know, it change change is ugly, but um, but it usually happens whether we like it or not. So. Yeah, I think the uh, the main pushback here is with the major publishers and how, what how they want to license books to libraries and doing so digitally. And, and the but whole concept something... of licensing a book is wrong. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm, this is one of my bugaboos. You buy books, you don't license them. Yeah. So there there are some problems to be worked out with with that, but I do think that. Adam's mad. Yeah. (laughs) Only a little bit. Uh, Do we have another question? I just launched a book through iBooks Author a few days ago, beginning of Macworld. Um, I put Evolution. Uh, I'm wondering, what's the best way to get a conversation started with Apple's iBook team to have that promoted? It's been reviewed by two on a couple other sites. Also, a question? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) let's leave it to one. There are a lot of people ask. Uh, Is your book good? You all loved it. MyMac.com loved it. I'm getting good response from everybody that's read it. Are you selling it or is it free? I'm selling it. Okay. Uh, I'd say the best thing to really do, and this is the thing that when people would write us, is, is not just a deflection, it's a real answer. Sell it first. You know, get it, get it moving through channels that exist so then you can demonstrate existing success because what really works in a, in a featuring context is if there's already some momentum, if you're already on the charts, then a feature can really push it further and really do great. If it's something that just kind of comes out of the blue, a person's eyes as they scan down whatever store just goes right over it because they've never heard of you. So um, yeah, again, have really good cover art and uh, get some success going on your own and then contact uh, various stores. Yeah, I could add to that a little bit. When I, when I put my book in, I had really no contact with Apple at all and just put it on the store. But I, you get 50 free licenses when you publish a book. So use every one of those and send it out to people who are in the niche thing that whatever you're doing. I mean, I found people who wrote blogs entirely about paperless, and I sent them free copies. And I, I tried to get it out to people so they could find an audience. In fact, one of them is in the audience. Um, I was trying to find people who would find an audience to help get the word out about the book. And that helped drive sales. And and Apple eventually contacted me. I, didn't, I never contacted them. I got the, the Best of 2012 award, which was awesome. I never thought that would ever happen. And, the, um, and I never asked them for anything the whole time. I, I don't think that's really the way to go. You know, get the word out and, and let the marketing happen. We find stuff and get excited about it, and then we, we, they, they find stuff. <laughs> yep, thanks. Uh, next question. 
you mentioned writing platform versus publishing platform. Uh, that the publishing is not necessarily the best. What do you use for writing platforms? Oh boy. Okay. Well, we do everything. Where does begin? Yeah. We actually currently write everything in pages, so authors and editors are working in the final layout because with an agile publishing model like ours, we cannot afford to take the time to lay out a book later. So we would not use something like InDesign, where Adobe is a designer-centric company. We are writers and editors, and so we're not doing massively complicated layouts. So for us, pages works well. It's got change tracking. It's got versioning or um, commenting. And, um, and it's a good, stable program. Microsoft Word is what we used before. Worked pretty well. In most cases, has some issues. Uh, my, my writing technique is completely insane. Um, so I, uh, because going back to the original... I asked the birds what to say. <laughs> then I kill the ones who say things I don't like. Actually, monkeys. monkeys. Oh, monkeys. Yeah. Okay. See, I use but, birds. Okay. Well, you know, because I going back to the original premise that I'm not that smart. I can't just sit down at a blanking cursor and start writing a book. So I use the OPML technologies, and I use outlining and mind mapping. I spend a bunch of time in that stuff. And then there's a great app called Scrivener, which is a, a novel writing tool. But you can write legal briefs and tech books and anything in it. So I write the whole book in Scrivener. At the end, I put it into pages because it has change tracking, and I can go share it with my editor. And then at the last point, I put it into iBooks Author. The text is done when it goes into iBooks Author. And that's the best way to do it for me. I'm, you know, we're going to get a few more questions. I'm going to stay afterwards, so just come see me. I had a question about um, old documents or public domain pictures being included. I read that you can, Apple has a rule, okay, well, if it's over 50 years old or so, um, you can in include it as a public domain picture in your document. Um, have you guys run into any problems using um, old content uh, for a new book? Yeah, my book has a lot of clip art in it, and I made a rule that I'd only use things that I could pay for in the book, because I didn't want to run into any problems. There's some really great online clip art or, or you know, stock photo sites. Make sure they've got a license that says you can use it in an ebook and just pay for everything, and then you'll solve any problems. We, we create almost all of our graphics, mostly, frankly, screenshots. So the very few times when we've had illustrations, we've commissioned them. Um, one thing to be aware of, the iBooks author license agreement says that Apple can reject your book for any reason. And so you might want to be really, really careful if you're going to use iBooks author to make sure that that's not something that they would be concerned about and then reject you. Sometimes it's just Thursday. <laughs> just get out of here, Thursday books. Just having a cranky day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Magic 8-Ball yes, says. Do you have any more questions? Oh, boy, lots. Uh, we got James Conner off the mic. Um, I've just seen the demo at Powell's in Portland of the Xerox Espresso machine that produces a finished, bound color cover book in, in a few minutes at a fairly low price. Is, is this a passing fancy novelty, or is this part of the future of, of what we're talking about, or do we know yet? The, the, the book printer? The book printer? Yeah, uh, I, I think it's part of it. It's a bummer because it makes crappy books. They, look, they just look bad and cheesy. Uh, I'm sure they'll get better over time. Uh, but I, I think there's certainly a continued place for print books, if that's your question. Yeah, but for mine, I'd have to implant 40 iPod touches in the book <laughs> so you could have it's the really screencast. Really yeah. That would have been really expensive. I, I think it's, it's really important, 
as, as part of the ability for people who do want a physical book to have different ways of, of getting the physical book. And I don't know what's true anymore, but 10 years ago when we got into this ebook business and we started working with other Mac authors and just talking, what we were hearing was for the typical computer book you know, for sale at Barnes & Noble or wherever, that when all was said and done, there would be returns. Returns are books that the covers are ripped off and the books are basically shredded. And you could expect about 20% returns for an average book. So as book authors, if you're kind of concerned about ecology, it's like you have this, these truckloads of books that have been shredded behind you. So I think that from a sustainability standpoint going forward, anything we can do to make it so that only books are printed if they're actually wanted it is a very good thing. And, and printing things like that, I think we'll see lots of, you know, some experimentation with that for people who want a, a physical object. The espresso machine is actually the, the most, the most, um, the, the, the most direct instantiation of what's called print-on-demand. So, for instance, O'Reilly Media doesn't, they don't, almost all their books are print on demand now, but they're doing it at a slightly larger level, um, whereas the Espresso is sitting there in the bookstore. So, what's cool about it in some ways is it's, it's, it's a good thing for little bookstores who couldn't possibly stock enough books. Bookstores, it's a very, a very inventory intensive problem. You, know, you have to have the book on the shelf or the person's going to walk out. And so, having the Espresso machine is, is something that could be good for bookstores to be able to survive as well. Um, but yeah, print on demand in general is a really big deal. We did it for a while until the company we used for Print on Demand went out of business, and we're a little sad about that. But, you know, we were doing it just as sort of an extra service. People who really wanted to read on paper, we really do prefer the ebook in any, every way. Definitely. We have time for, I think, one more question. So, you want to come yeah, back? And, and I'm, it sounds like all of us will be sticking around a little bit afterwards. So no we, way. Yes. Except no for way. Scott, who's going I to run like a dog. Out the window. <laughs> he doesn't want to be around for the drum circle. Yeah, my question was, how do you get to a good pricing uh, sweet spot when you're determining based on which store? And that That's sort of the thing? easiest question of all. <laughs> Nobody here has any complicated opinions about pricing. Oh, no. It's a super good question. I think, you know, the nice thing about being a, you know, uh, if you're presumably like you're an independent author, just price it really, really low because you also presumably want to get a lot of traction for your book. Consider doing it for free. You know, it makes a much bigger, it's a much bigger question for uh, more of a technical book, something like that. But, for people uh, who actually have to, like, earn a living? Well, no, no, honestly, like, if it's more of, like, a, a niche audience where you know there are 40,000 people who use this software program, you know, some percentage of them are going to want it. So you can price technical and professional and all kinds of those types of books more expensively. Uh, but if you're writing, you know, uh, you know, like a fiction, something like that. Uh, I think low, my, my opinion is you have to go as low as possible because why would you do anything else? It's just, yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say for the first year uh, that I was working with Macworld, we decided to do miniature light versions of our big super guides. So we do, you know, two, three hundred print page books um, that are called super guides. And then we started these things called starter guides uh, that were, you know, 40, 50 page versions of these books. And we did an iPhone, I think our first was an iPhone starter guide that we put for free on the iBook store. And then we put out the iPhone super guide a couple, like a month or so later. And that free book stayed at number one or in like the top five of iBooks, you know, top free in computers for that entire year. And pretty much we had 
we would lock down those slots every time we released a new top free thing. So whenever somebody came to visit the iBookstore page or happened to browse the top 10 of computers, they would always see one of our books. And they'd be like, oh, well, this book is out of date. Or, oh, this book is new. I'm reading it. I've gotten to the end, but I want to know more. Oh, they have a $10 book available? Well, I'll, I'll go look at that. And that, that served us very well. So there, there are options to do it where you can you know, price low or price free, but also still be able to make a living publishing. Honestly, I'm not a fan of that. Um, that our books are priced at usually about 10 or $15 because when we started, of course, we were competing against print books. And print books were going to be in that 20 to $30 range. And we needed to be cheaper than them because you weren't getting this thing that you could hold in your hand. Um, but the fact of the matter is that it takes time. It takes time for, for an author. It takes time for an editor. And if you don't charge real money, you're not going to make significant amounts of money. In my, in my mind, and, and what we've tested with pricing for our audiences and with our kinds of books, dropping the price to a couple of bucks or whatnot makes no difference. We sell the same number of copies, so it would, it's, it's just madness to charge less than that. And it's the same sort of problem in the app store. Is why I don't necessarily approve of all these 99-cent apps, because it devalues the, um, the work that people do. It's all great for the people who sell a million copies of that one app, but the vast majority of people who can't make any money because all the prices are 99 cents get hurt by that. Yeah, when I did Paperless, I talked to a lot of people about pricing who were very knowledgeable about this stuff more than me, and they gave me advice ranging from $1 to $25, and everybody said I was crazy if I didn't do their price. And I really didn't know what to do. But one thing I did do is test with friends. And I, and I found out that almost none of my friends, and I know a lot of geeks, had never bought a book on iBooks author. And they were all used to going to Amazon. And I was worried that people would never even find the book in the store. So I started it at $5, which seemed probably a little low. I'm not sure or not. But then it, was, it sold like that for three or four months. Eventually, I raised it to $10. And obviously, after three or four months, you're not getting the sales numbers you have when you first release a book. But it was remarkable to me that when I raised the price, the numbers didn't change at all. It just stayed right where it was, which made me feel like a big, fat idiot in a lot of ways. But I, I do think the $5 price helped me get started, at least. So I'm not really sure what to do with it. There, there is no answer, I think. Play. It's a super new market. And you know, it's, it, different things work for different books, just like different things work for different apps. Uh, it depends on what your long-term goals are and how this particular book fits into your long-term business plan of becoming a successful author or, or you you can also um, set your you know your list price so to speak and then usually you can work with whoever is running your shopping cart for you the iBookstore or wherever to have some sales and you can kind of see what happens at certain price points which may not help you that much with that particular book because you kind of have already run through most of your sales, but you can get an idea for a similar book for next time, what might make more sense. Yeah, there are a lot of different options. Um, well, with that, I think we are out of time. I would like to thank my four fantastic panelists. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, David. And thank you, Scott. And thank you, audience, for tuning in and enjoying. And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast. I'd like to thank Serenity Caldwell, Adam and Tanya Angst, David Sparks, Scott Simpson, and of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 
967-367-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac OS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. See you around.